Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences raising my son, Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son, Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. We are just getting ready to start. I have two guests joining me today. I feel very privileged. Uh, my husband, Lieutenant John Goodman with the Spokane Fire Department, and actually one of my very good friends, Matt Coles with the Spokane Police Department. You look surprised that I called you one of my very good friends. Are you surprised by this, Matt? A little. What? Give me a break. <laughs> Matt and I know have known each other for a long time. Uh, you're actually my neighbor, but, and you knew Isaac when he was little before he passed away. So you're actually one of the few people that come on my podcast that can actually say that they've had a relationship with my son. Um, well, we're here because we've been talking about station visits and other podcasts, and we thought that it would be worth talking about station visits and just its own specific podcast. So I invited both of you guys here today because you guys are big pieces of my station visit. So we call them special needs station visits. They're here in Spokane. Boy, how long have we been doing these visits from uh, the beginning? Five years, right? Five or six years. It's been a long time. And Matt, you came on. I tested out for a while without bringing on the police department or even the ambulance company here in Spokane because we were just trying to figure out kind of a curriculum flow, how they worked, how many kids were ideal, uh, what skills we wanted to, to really practice. And um, so anyway, we've been doing them now for five or six years and they have been very successful. So I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Um, so let's start with the beginning. Part of the reason why we decided that special needs station visits were important is we had started doing a first responder training program for first responders. And we believe that you can train first responders to be amazing and give them all the training in the world. But that's just a very small piece of the puzzle. Am I right, guys? Because you guys work have worked in the field with individuals with disabilities. And there are a lot of variables, regardless of how much training and experience you have. There are a lot of variables that come from the individual with a disability. Am I right? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, exposure. So you can teach somebody something uh, in a classroom or a didactic portion of a class or something else. But in actually practicing and seeing this population and really interacting with them in a physical sense, you know, I think that our members grow because they get the opportunity to interact with these folks, just like the uh, police officers. I mean, it's, um, like I said, it's, it's nice to know things in theory, but to put them in practice is actually a good thing. So it's good for both sides. Good for the, for the oh, population and good for the, for the members. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like I said, we can train first responders to be amazing. And I am going to say that I think that our first responders here in Spokane County are um, quite good when it comes to working with individuals with disabilities, specifically the Spokane PD. I have a lot of rave reviews and you guys have uh, been a good support to the Isaac Foundation and have supported families who have kids with disabilities with all sorts of different challenges. Um, but Anyway, when we talk about the special needs um, station visits, really the reason why we decided to add that as a component to our overall program is because we feel like we can have training available for first responders, but it's only as good as the kids have the skills and the understanding of what our expectations are. And so that's kind of the, 
you know, in the beginning we were just bringing the kids into the stations. And really all we were doing is having them interact with first responders so that we could improve their perceptions of first responders in uniform. And Matt, let's talk about your very first station visit, because that was, it's, it's funny in that it, it was everything that we were afraid of, which is we had one of our young men that came to the station visit, saw you, came right up in front of you. And what, what did he do? Do you remember? I don't know. I feel like he might have given me a hug or something along those lines. No, actually, he <laughs> went to grab your your sidearm, oh. actually. I yeah. So he actually made a move and wanted to actually try and grab your weapon out of its holster, which and you were just very nonchalant, like, oh, no, thank you. That's that's my safety tool or something like that. Um, but his mom started crying because this is kind of their worst nightmare because he is also a boy of color and he doesn't have good language and he he just also he really struggles with personal space like bubble space and so it kind of highlighted all of the things that a lot of parents are worried about and parents number one worry is how first responders will interact with their children and um, unfortunately and Matt you can kind of talk about this too when something bad happens somewhere in the United States when it comes between a police officer and a person with a disability it goes viral and then I feel like my phone starts lighting up because it might as well have happened in Spokane because people's perception, it doesn't matter what happened in Florida or Arizona or in another state that's far away from Spokane, which is where we are. It feels like it could have just, it might as well have just happened in Spokane because everybody then has concerns about our first responders and how they interact with, with people with disabilities. Do you agree? I do agree. And um, it's interesting or it's difficult to live under a microscope. And I think that uh, that may be something that the IDD community and law enforcement, if like fire department, uh, we're always under a microscope. And if somebody sees uh, one person behave in a certain way, it's very easy to uh, move that on and spread that to other, other people of the same group. And uh, we are very lucky in Spokane because we, in, have a, a lot of good financial backing, good training, and we've taken the time on both fire and PD levels to hire the right people to be in the right positions. So um, in those scenarios that happen on a national level, I think there's an expectation that the police officers are going to naturally jump up to the defense of some of the uh, wrongdoers or people who make mistakes on camera. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And uh, we want to hold everybody accountable and be doing the right things and learn from this, the mistakes either that we ourselves make, our agency makes, or uh, officers around the country are making. Well, and and I will say there has been instances where there have been not great outcomes and interactions between law enforcement and individuals with disabilities. Um, and really, at the root of a lot of those is it goes down to training. There just was not adequate training when it comes to helping their officers understand individuals with disabilities, how that presents, even some of the terminology that, um, you know, stimming. It's amazing to me still that, unfortunately, not all law enforcement officers understand and even fire department personnel understand the word stimming and what self-stimulating behavior looks like. Um, and so that's, again, it all goes down to training. But I also believe 
that we can have high expectations of our loved ones that have disabilities in terms of what we're expecting in terms of interactions with first responders. Let's kind of roll back a little bit because understandably, when you're talking about a person with a disability, we have to, they have very strong associations with certain situations. So in other words, if they encounter a situation and it's very positive, then they kind of have a hardwired positive association that if X or Y happens, then this is going to be the outcome. And that can be very exciting and happy. But unfortunately, uh, especially when we're dealing with first responder encounters, you can have a situation where uh, unfortunately, when you guys arrive on scene, it's usually not a jovial situation. There's usually some sort of situation, conflict, problem that you guys are on scene trying to resolve. And that then for a person with disability can hire, hardwire a negative perception or a negative association. And a lot of times what we're dealing with is their association with your guys' uniforms even. Um, Matt, you can probably say more so than John because you're a firefighter and I would say the public's general perception a lot of the times is everybody is excited or happy to see a fireman show up on site or a firefighter show up on site. Maybe not always the case when a police officer rolls on scene. Um, I've had people say, you know, I don't know how many times in my life I've ever, ever said, yay, the cops are here, right? And there is a certain amount of truth to that. Although I can say when, when stuff's going down, when she's going down, um, you are going to be excited when law enforcement or a police department shows up. But unfortunately, not everybody is as excited. So would you think in a, in a general context of just human population, um, is it fair to say that people do tend to have a, oh, no, the police are here mentality when they see the, the boys in blue or the boys and girls in blue show up in their vehicles and in their uniforms? Yeah, I think that's uh pretty universal. I mean, I, I don't like it when the police show up in my house and uh, in general, you have to pay me to hang out with police officers. <laughs> well, that's, that, that is a really, that's a good, good note to have. Actually, I'm not surprised by that because we are friends, but I will also we're say adorable. I know I, you, people should love us. You should love. And here's the thing. You guys are always there and you want positive outcomes. Um, Sometimes people need timeouts. That's what I always tell my kids. Sometimes people need a timeout. Even adults need timeout. And that's what the police are helping to facilitate is a timeout or a, hey, you go to your room and you go to your room and everybody needs to just separate. It's just like being a parent. But with that being said, I will say that um, John has gotten behind me, which I haven't been paying attention because he drives a vehicle. It's an unmarked vehicle and he will occasionally get behind me on our way home. And when I see those like when I see the lights in my rearview mirror or I hear the siren, my heart drops. Like even though in my mind, I know that it's you and you're right behind me pulling in the driveway. It's still like does something psychologically and like makes me panic. So, I mean, universally, even with, you know, any siren behind you. I think it causes a moment of panic. I don't like it. You really need to stop doing that. <laughs> I haven't done it in a long time. Yeah, true. Sounds ter ter terribly inappropriate. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, <laughs> we're back on to- We're on private property. On private property. But still, I'm not expecting you to come up behind me and it's just rotten. So anyway, but when we're talking about perceptions of- uh, John, would you say that most of the time when you're showing up on scene, most people are pretty happy to see a firefighter? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I know that uh, in my current role in the fire department, I get to interact with PD a lot. And honestly, I'm happy to see him. And like Matt said, I, I think that we're lucky in, in Spokane and our region because our officers, uh, 
they do a great job interacting with people who are really not very happy to see them. And I mean, at the end of the day, people don't want to get caught doing bad things. I mean, that's kind of, and they're going to be set off when someone shows up that has the authority to put them in, take their, their, their civil liberties away for a bit. So, you know, I, I understand that, but it's, you know, don't goof up. Don't be a dumbass and you probably will, won't be able <laughs> have any no, problems with do some editing. Yeah. <laughs> you won't have any issues with the police it's department. It's so true. Yeah. But I, that's, I, oh, go ahead. I'm going to jump in because yeah. it, there's, that's kind of a, uh, counterintuitive because, uh, in one, on one, in one sense, people don't want the police to show up, but the reality is, is, uh, even in, the most recent months, if I've been able to get out of my patrol car and walk the streets and am recognizable as a police officer, it's uh, overwhelming the response from people, very positive in our community. And it is not unheard of. In fact, it's if I'm out walking downtown, I will have n- numerous people come up and tell me how much they appreciate uh, seeing the law enforcement out, thanking me for my service and, you know, uh, it's very different than what you would expect if you watched a lot of television. See, and that goes back to that public perception because you're absolutely right. We, as a family, we really appreciate law enforcement. So we do go out of the way and make sure that we think and wave and just be thankful for law enforcement. And you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people are, but public perception and what you see in the media on the news is the negative association and the negative protests that people are having for law enforcement. But that, goes to what we're talking about today is what the station visits at the root of what we're trying to do is improve perceptions that um, individuals with disabilities uh, have with first responders. And again, think about this. If you're a parent or a caregiver and you're listening to this, um, if the only association that your kiddo has with law enforcement is when there's problems or there's a situation, then of course we are hardwiring anxiety when it when it comes to the physical appearance of a first responder. Would you say that's true? Sure. Yeah. So the whole point of our station visits initially is is that we're just trying to get them even in the same room so that they're interacting with first responders in an environment other than what they would traditionally be expecting. And again, this is this could be family members have medical health issues, and so they have to rely on first responders to come for medical situations. So whenever first responders are in the home dealing with a medical situation, that creates anxiety because someone's unwell. So there's a lot of factors. It doesn't have to be, you know, domestic violence or, um, you know, conflict that creates a situation where first responders can be there. It can just be perpetual need for medical assistance. Um, and so then we have hired hardwired negative perceptions or anxiety perceptions related to first responders. So really at the root of what our station visits are is we're trying to improve those associations so that they can draw off of some fun situations where they're interacting with first responders in a positive, no stress, no anxiety environment so that if then they encounter them once again, maybe in, an, in a situation where it's not optimum, then they're pulling off of some of those fun associations that they had during a special needs station visit. So let's talk about a little bit about what we do. You guys have been, how many station visits have you been to, Matt? Probably 15, I think. I was going to say quite a bit. Uh, John, how many station visits have you gone to? All of them. (laughs) I don't think that there is ever a station visit that you haven't gone to just because initially you were kind of our liaison with the Spokane Fire Department, but also to you are personally uh, invested and you are very passionate about station visits. So it's become your baby. And so you become very territorial about 
being present and helping to facilitate those station visits, correct? Well, and that's true. I mean, I do have a personal connection because my son, Cooper, who's 17 now, is, you know, uh, ASD level three, and he's, you know, pretty, uh, and Matt's been exposed to Cooper, and and Cooper's an interesting cat. I mean, he kind of (laughs) lives in his own world and does his own thing. He does interact on his own terms, but, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it's nice to know that, you know, given the situation, Matt could interact with them and probably get a positive outcome. And I think a lot of that's due to the, the station visits. And I think the, the fact that uh, uh, Matt's, you know, pretty intuitive dude anyways. Oh, you're a very well, see, chill guy. I see a lot of myself in Cooper wandering around making weird noises. <laughs> that is true. You told me that was genetic, man. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're a lot more alike than I realized. But, you know, okay. So to that comment, you know, you're absolutely right. Cooper's association with Matt is very positive. When we go over there, we're oftentimes in your dojo and usually there's food and drinks in your dojo. So whenever he goes over but there, very COVID compliant, very, yes, very yes. COVID compliant. Uh, yeah. Even pre COVID, but all the times that we've been over there and he's been in your dojo, it's been very positive where there's food and snacks and, you know, happy people and whatnot. And so he has a very pleasant association with you. Uh, if he was to interact with you, in your uniform, it would be interesting to see what, because he would recognize your face, but it would be interesting to see if his demeanor changes or how he would interact with you would change. Because when Tyler was little, it was right shortly after Isaac passed away, uh, the mayor did a proclamation for Autism Awareness Month. And um, they had done the poster and commemorated it in honor of Isaac. And he had just recently passed away. And you came to be part of that with us because you were friends and you came right from work. So you were still in uniform and that was Tyler's first time ever seeing you in a uniform. And he didn't know who you were and he didn't want to interact with you. He, I mean, it was a stressful day. So rightfully so we had a lot going on and it wasn't a great time in his life, but it was shocking to me that you were a person he spent a fair, like at that time, quite a bit of time with because your daughter and Tyler were the same age and were play partners. And he didn't recognize you because apparently at that point, he never drew the correlation that you were in law enforcement and his whole, how he behaved with you that day was much, much different. Um, and, and I still do find that actually, even now Tyler's what, 17 years old and, uh, he, his demeanor does change when you're in your uniform versus. And I think it, it's good that it does. <laughs> exactly. 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 Now, considering your daughter is also <clears throat> 17, it's very important that he understands yeah. those boundaries. Boundaries are good. Exactly. But that's the thing. Is is that we naturally have, you know, I personally, when you're in uniform, it for whatever reason, it does give me just a, one more like octave of like, oh wow, okay, so like I got to be on my best behavior, even though you're just my good friend Matt. But when you're in uniform, it does change the perception of of how that of of how that person operates. And so again, it's going to just be amplified. I would say, you know, ten percent, but maybe like. 90 percent is if when you're talking about a person with a disability it just changes so a lot of what we do when we first come in for station visits is we start talking about the different uniforms what different uniforms the jobs that different uniforms do and we have john's department someone in his department always put on i call it their somewhat fancy uniform it's their class b because it does have a badge and when you compare that side by side by a person a law enforcement officer it can be confusing for them the kids sometimes will see the class b uniform with the shiny badge and think law enforcement 
which would kind of make sense because they associate the badge with law enforcement. And so we do spend more time going through the uniforms and looking at the patches on your uniform so that they can understand the different jobs. And then we off, we play a little game like what vehicle does this uniform go into? And then they have to, you know, kind of sort the first responders into the different vehicles. Another thing that we talk about is bubble space. And Matt, you were less concerned about bubble space. As a parent, we become more concerned about bubble space just because uh, some of our kiddos do struggle with maintaining appropriate bubble space. Now, in COVID world, which we are currently living in, uh, I feel like they're getting better because six feet apart is what we're trying to encourage for all individuals, regardless of, of you know, like jobs. Uh, but we really are trying to push with the kids and get them to understand that we want to make sure that first responders have a bubble space so that you have access to your tools that you need. So for a fire department, we talk about your guys' safety tools being your medical kit because a lot of times you're on scene because of a medical situation. Sometimes you're there for other things, but most of the time, what would you say more often than not, you're there doing medical calls or different things like that. Is that fair? Yeah. So, you know, obviously we'll carry in our, our med box, right? It has all our medications and IV supplies in it and we have a monitor and then we have an airway kit. And so it's three or four different bags and it's kind of, um, you need some space to operate, obviously. Clearly, our ours don't present a danger to them necessarily like like uh, the officers do, but uh, we still need room to operate. And a lot of times, um, you know, kiddos, they're kind of cool because they got a lot of lights and, and you know, things on. They're beeping and blinking and, you know, and they're kind of cool to look at. But it's, you know, we still have to be able to, if you're, if the mom's having a heart attack, you have to be able to see the 12 lead to read it. So Yeah, for sure. Important to, and what we're trying to do is create some consistencies for kiddos, whereas, you know, if we say, oh, you know, you don't have to have a bubble space with a firefighter, but you need a bubble space with a law enforcement, it gets confusing. So that's yeah. part of the reason why we're trying to maintain and hardwire some consistent expectations for our kids. Now, when we talk about law enforcement, I like to refer to the things on your guys' bodies while you're working as safety tools versus weapons, because it just sounds Safety tools sound more positive. Am I right? Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> so when we're working in station visit environment, we talk about safety tools, that law enforcement needs more room and more bubble space because they have safety tools that you have to have on your body that you need to keep safe, right? And again, we talked about one of our young men that came to a station visit, and he did, you know, want to put his hands on, I don't know if it was your taser or your sidearm. I don't really remember what it was, but it was a safety tool. And like you said, you know, oh, no, thank you. You know, that's mine, you know. And again, we're just trying to practice what a bubble space looks like. Now, we have a couple different things that we've done. We've done blue tape, um, you know, like circles on the ground, and we put first responders in there. And then the um, hard part was that is, is that when, if it's taped to the ground, it's pretty stagnant. So if the, if the first responder moves out of the taped bubble, then we've got a little bit of problems. So I have since moved to irrigation tubing where I make a nice big circle and we talk with the kids and we demonstrate visually that the, the bubble moves with the first responder. So if he moves or she moves and the bubble moves with them. And so what we encourage the kiddos and now again, during COVID-19 parents, you can thank us. We were way ahead of the COVID-19 six feet apart. Um, but we talk about fist bumps um, instead of hugs. And, and part of that is, is cause we're trying to have the kids want to interact with first responders, but still maintain that social distance, that bubble space. So we were doing high fives, which now we're not allowed to do. 
I kind of am a little nervous about teaching the kids the foot kick thing because I feel like that could just lead to all sorts of interesting um, situations, you know, because we have high fives, which are being discouraged currently because of COVID-19. We can do fist bumps, but I think they're even discouraging fist bumps, are they not? I have no idea. It's just so hard to keep track of. And so one I have seen is you can just kind of tap each other's feet, you know, like as like a hello, like instead of a handshake, you can yeah, tap each other. I think they other's. were calling like the, the Wuhan is that what it is? Or something like is that, that what yeah. it is? And so I think I was like, oh, that's a great option. But then, like I said, how that translates to some of our kiddos, I could just only imagine like Cooper walking around kicking people because it's like, well, I'm trying to say hello, right? When well, you're talking about kids that don't have great <laughs> ability to maintain their 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 body movements, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, it's wintertime. You're going to have a bunch of police officers with broken hips. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> that is so true. Hey, it could be with firefighters Well, think about too. this. So if you're walking downtown, like you say, and you have you know, the positive, the, the uh, general consensus is that people are positive, then you have to do that 2,000 times a day. Your hips might get sore. That <laughs> is true. But just, just the sheer motion. Yeah. Just the sheer motion of the doing like the foot tap. Yeah, repetitive, early, motion. <laughs> repetitive motion, early retirement. I see where you guys are going with this. You heard it here first, people. So I kind of wanted to, because uh, what you were saying brought up some thoughts for me about uh, – it, to be a police officer in at the station visits, especially when you're new, it's a little bit counterintuitive because in those environments, uh, a police officer has an opportunity to kind of shift down in levels of awareness and alertness. And it, very rarely are we in contact with somebody, an IDD child or adult who has malicious intent to want to hurt you. And so when you go into those situ the station visits, you finally have an opportunity to interact on a personal level. But the reality is, is by interacting on a close personal level and handshaking and letting somebody in your bubble space in the station visits, you're really uh, trading what we would call a training scar and uh, setting up failure for the next officer who meets somebody on the street under uncontrolled environment. And then you have somebody who is comfortable coming into an officer's bubble space and they're not ready for that. So the station visit gives an opportunity to uh, a real good training tool for how to interact at the next, at the next uh, encounter. Yeah. And I would say for the most part, we've had, we've been doing the station visits for five or six years and it's kind of a mixed bag at station visits. Most of the time, the kids are pretty excited to be there and interact with first responders. But with that being said, we do have some kiddos that come. And sometimes when I say kiddos, they can be young adults that are really not that excited to be there. And the reason why the parents are engaging in a special needs station visit is because they recognize that their uh, their youngster has some negative perceptions for first responders and the parents or caregivers are wanting to work on those perceptions. And so um, I would say that they're not always successful. Sometimes if we can just get a family coming into the parking lot at the fire station, because we use the fire station because they're big enough that we can pull the three vehicles in and then close the door. So we have the ambulance, we have a police car, and then we have uh, one of, obviously the one of the engines or the ladders in the bays so that we can control the environment. But sometimes we're just even getting them to sit in the parking lot at a fire station and tolerate that. I mean, that's sometimes the very first step. We've had families that will come into the parking lot 
and just sit in the parking lot and kind of watch through the windows of the bay or we leave the door open so that they can see what we're doing in there and, and see that it's it's positive and everybody's having fun. And that can be like your step two of trying to work towards it. Um, there are some individuals that have been participating in special needs station visits that has taken us months of working with them to get them to actually take a step inside the the bay so that they can be even on an external, you know, peripheral participation of a station visit. And so we've done some of that. Um, do you think that overall it's been, you, I mean, I, I, this has definitely been positive because we have been building on some of these skills and we know that over time that the kids are learning and becoming more comfortable with first responders, the ones that love them still love them, but they are maintaining skills in terms of, you know, body awareness, bubble space. They're able to understand the different uniforms. They're more comfortable around the vehicles. Um, but we also know that the kiddos that are struggling are also still building skills. But do you think that this is important for first responders, like for people that are listening that may not be in Spokane and can't take advantage of our special needs station visits, do you feel like it's a worthwhile endeavor to encourage other departments outside of the area to do this just from a perspective of, of law enforcement and fire department being able to interact with them kind of in a real time environment where it's not stressful? There's no expectation of compliance or whatnot. Do you think it would be something that um, outside of the area that more departments should consider doing? Well, from a, from a fireside, we, we have actually, you know, had classes outside the area and and the feedback from those agencies uh, from the Navy region Northwest was very, very good. And they thought it was very worthwhile. And uh, so I, I, th I think it is absolutely, I think in this day and time that having a unique or a new perspective that you can utilize to, you know, make a better outcome, which is the goal of all first responders is to have a positive outcome, right? I mean, it's as better, as good as it can be. So this allows us the, the standard or the the ability to get there. So I think that it's hugely important. And I, I think that in Spokane, because the PD, you know, and, and the fire, we have so much training and so much availability of training. I mean, uh, I sat through their CIT class. Which is crisis intervention training, just right. for those that are listening. Very, very good training. I mean, it gives you a perspective from uh, folks with mental illness issues. Um, I never had that perspective before. I mean, as a paramedic, I never went through, you know, the mental health piece we went through was very small. I didn't realize the the impact on these, this population with, uh, with the drugs that they take and the, the drugs, the, the medications that they take. So I think that, uh, anything we can get to gain a new perspective is a huge, huge help. And it's just going to add, uh, more ability to have that positive outcome. And I agree that it's certainly a great tool. And one of the things, especially in law enforcement, uh, when you arrive on a call, you're very results driven. And, uh, one of the results that you want to achieve is to, wrap up that call and move on to the next call because there's such a demand for our service in the community. But, um, uh, and the station visits give, give you a, uh, real controlled format to be able to get to know people on an individual level and really work on some of the more human, uh, skills and, uh, interaction relationships. and relationship. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a two-way street. The officers get to appreciate more uh, some of the hardships of the families. But some of the biggest results that I've seen in those interactions is the benefit it is for the family to see uh, police officers on a human, individual, and personal level 
and not just a car in a uniform driving around or uh, the latest news story. I completely agree because part of the reason why we do these is not just to build skills for the kiddos, but it's also to improve parent perception so that they have the confidence in you guys to be able to work successfully with individuals with disabilities because perceptions is so much of it. When we look around the world right now um, and some of the negative connotations that there are out there in different parts of the United States towards law enforcement, it's all perceptions. And so, again, we've been doing this program for six years and we very successfully, when we, we do a survey before families come and we're asking parents or caregivers, what's your perception of the capabilities of police, fire department, um, AMR, which is our ambulance company. And, you know, most of the time it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to feel about it. And then we send them the survey after they've attended. And it's almost always, um, depending on how long they were able to stay and how much their child was able to tolerate, always very high, that they have a high level of confidence in the ability of first responders to interact successfully with their loved one with this disability. Because again, it goes back to public perception. So I'm very jaded and biased. And I really think that across the United States, departments should allocate resources and time to do this type of community outreach, because that's really what it is, is that, you know, again, you're doing a service for our special needs population because we are, we do have a curriculum. We are working on skill building, but it is equally important for parents to know that you guys are there to help and that you are human. And that's, again, it improves those perceptions. And it also, uh, my kids will pick up on my anxiety. And if I'm anxious because I'm not sure how this is going to go, your children um, or your loved ones will in, inherently pick up on some of that anxiety. And so I think it just improves situations across the board. Um, and I know that funding is always an issue. So, of course, this is a leading question because I'm really trying if, you know, there are people out there that are interested in doing this and you have any sort of resistance from your your law enforcement or fire department. Um, you know, I would encourage them to reach out because I, I think that your department finds it to be a good use of 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 time. Is that fair to say, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And, and from the top down, our department's made it a priority. It's part of our mission statement. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, really, the investment of the department is uh, they'll they they pay overtime and, and over in the in the end, a couple hours uh, investment. Mm-hmm to reach out to uh, seven or eight families is, is a pretty small dollar amount for the, the results you get. And I think one of the best anecdotal stories of how successful this is, is your story about the uh, IDD girl who was in the collision and she heard the sirens you tell it better than I do, but uh, she had a statement when she heard the sirens that was pretty telling us. how. Yeah. So she was one of our kids that we had to work for months just being comfortable with her at the station visit because she's just very sensory wise. She's very sensitive. So we had to work a long time to get her comfortable during the station visits. And now she absolutely loves first responders. But when their family was involved in a winter collision, uh, mom was obviously dazed because they had gotten into this car accident. And as soon as she heard the sirens coming, she said, first responders are coming to help us. And as soon as they got her out of the vehicle, she jumped right in the back of the ambulance where she stayed safely and comfortably and happily because of all of the work that we had done to help prepare her for that. And this would have been a, a little girl that would have run had she gotten out of that vehicle and she was spooked. She would have ran off because, you know, she, she's that fight or flight. She's a runner. And so the family is very thankful for 
the work that you guys have committed to the station visits because it did make all the difference in the world in that particular instance. And we've had other situations too. So I just want you guys to know that I am thankful for what you do. Same thing for the Spokane Fire Department, actually. Spokane Fire Department was the catalyst that started and supported our our initiative to work on first responder training program. They also were 100% on board and piloting the special needs station visits at first, um, well, since the beginning, because, you know, again, it was it was a concept that was building and we were testing it. And the Spokane Fire Department alloc- has allocated over the years just a tremendous number of hours to helping to get this program going. Well, and I think that's kind of notable of Chief Schaefer that he, we approached him with a concept and he, more or less, uh, you know, I think he liked what he heard and gave us the resources, you know, like I say, to, to start going. And, you know, we take a rig out of service when we do it. We don't pay extra guys to come in like the PD guys have to because they're stretched thin enough. But, you know, we take a rig out of service for a short amount of time to do our station visits at their station. And, you know, that's that's important. I think that uh, and everybody that's been, you know, in part of that, they've, they've enjoyed it. And uh, most of the guys, the training we had, we started with was an hour long video and it was i mean it was information flying at you at a hundred thousand miles an hour yes and excuse the analogy but it was like drinking from a fire hose it It was was a lot of information being thrown at them a lot of guys said they had to rewatch it to because they liked what they heard but you know it's hard to catch all those details at that time so uh and it's you know expanded since then to now an eight hour eight hour training essentially so it's one of those things where there's never enough time of course but you try to get out as much as you can and you know, after eight cups of coffee, you talk fast. This is the way it goes. And that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is number seven today, then? Yes. Seven. <laughs> Seventh cup of coffee. We're good. We're good. So going back to kind of the skills that we're building on the station visits, we talked about uniform identification. We talk about the different jobs that police officers and, and firefighters and the uh, our AMR, our um, medical, uh, yeah, what do, what do you call them? Transport medical. Oh, transport medical. See, it's a technical term. I'm learning something new today. Um, <clears throat> one area that we do know that that kiddos struggle with is there is one uniform that the fire department wears that most kids are very uncomfortable with, and that is your bunker gear, where that's the protection uniform that you wear when you have to engage with fire or hazardous material, correct? Correct. And almost always when that uniform comes out, it makes the kids, the the level of anxiety goes from, yay, firefighter, to wait, no, there's a monster in the room. And it is is an, an uncomfortable, so we pull the uniform out. Um, we're very specific. We have you get in the uniform while you're in front of the kids and we talk through the different parts of the uniform from the boots, the pants, um, the jacket with your safety tools in it. And then we go all the way through putting on your mask, um, which does obstruct your face. And then of course the helmet. And then we have you connect your air tank because it does make funky noises. And I always associate it with like the Darth Vader. Luke. I am your father. You actually are very funny too, Matt. When you do, you drive by in your vehicle, you do the um, the Woody from Toy Story, reach for the star, or sky. Yeah, reach for the sky. Exactly. And the kids <laughs> love it. Um, and I so appreciate that because that definitely, you know, again, we're creating these positive associations. But a lot of times, as soon as we get you in your bunker gear, you're on your knees, you're down low, but you're breathing through your air tank. And we're trying, and that is the one uniform where we have to teach the kids 
that, you know, all the other first responders have a bubble space. But when you're in that uniform, firefighters, when you're in in bunker gear, there is no bubble space because we have to get the kiddos comfortable getting up close and personal with that uniform. Because if you're wearing it, there's something bad going on and we need them to be able to tolerate being handled by a firefighter wearing bunker gear. That's correct. But even with the typical population children, you know, young children are not they're not comfortable. They're with not it. comfortable around it. Not, and ultimately, I think every child would benefit from interacting with a first responder in that uniform and with you know with the PD officers as well. I think that it's one of those things where we can you know make a positive output uh, outcome with a lot more folks than just our you know IDD folks, right? So. Oh, completely agree. I have to get kind of tricky because a lot of kids have no desire to get up and close and personal with you when you're in your bunker gear. So I use. Um, candy is positive reinforcers. I put it in your hands so that you can hand it to them so we can get them at least in close proximity. I blow bubbles, uh, bubbles. Uh, all of a sudden when you start blowing bubbles, like the first responder ceases to exist. And all of a sudden they're so popping bubbles and playing with the bubbles that they forget that you're actually in their bubble space. Um, really we're working with them even getting up close and even tolerating, you know, like a hug or you like wrapping your arms around them because you would have to, in theory, pick them up to get them out of, of a building or a, a bad situation should the need arise. So, um, <clears throat> I will say one of the funniest things that we have found is, is that while a lot of the majority of the kids are not comfortable and don't love it because they can't see your face, there is the other population of our special needs community where have no interest in interacting with uh, a first responder or a firefighter until the mask goes on. And then all of a sudden it's like your face disappeared. You're a cool person now all of a sudden. And they're right up in your face touching, wanting to, you know, cling on you and they're completely content. And so it's kind of an interesting thing for parents to see is that, hey, you know, your kiddo actually, once the face goes away and their mask is on, completely happy. So there is that confidence level that increases for those families to know that, hey, this would be okay. Should they come in with bunker gear? Like my kid is comfortable. And so there's, there's some comfort in that. Um, so I just want to talk about the fact that we do uh, have you get in the bunker gear, get down low, crawl around, talk through your um, ventilator, just so that, that way the kids can hear what that's going to sound like. It does make some beeping noises. So we get them used to that. Um, and then we start working on, you know, we do talk a little bit about first responders need to see the fronts of our bodies, not the backs of our bodies, because obviously first responders are there to help us. So we need, you know, it's much more helpful and we can give more information if at least we're turning our fronts to the first responder. But then after that, it's pretty much just exploring the vehicles and just playing and interacting with the first responders that are there. I mean, that's pretty much what we do, right? A large portion of it is playing with the vehicles. Now, I'm going to, this is my soapbox moment, is that uh, when you go to a park event or a community event and there's first responders there that are doing community engagement activities, a lot of times they will let kids interact in the front seats of the vehicles. Like, oh yeah, hop on in. And here's the problem with that. Again, our disabilities community can draw very strong associations. And so at our special needs station visits and what we teach to all first responders that we personally train is to never encourage individuals with disabilities to sit in the front seat of first response vehicles ever. Even in a community event where it's perfectly safe and it would be fine, we have we tell parents and first responders that it's just not a good idea because if you were to take that first response vehicle and that first responder and now put them in real world environment where it's actually, you know, they're engaged in their 
their protection of our community. And they then see a unattended police car or fire truck. And their association is, hey, you know, I've gotten in the front seat of this and there's all sorts of cool buttons and things that I can like do in there. Um, and but yet that vehicle is in service. Now, you know, first responder comes out, sees somebody in the front of their vehicle or asking them to get out, which, you know, depending on their communication and 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 skill level may or may not be successful. Well, and I think, you know, seven-year-old Cooper in the front of your, your fire it's gonna be your cute. police car is cute, but 17-year-old <laughs> Cooper is five foot 11, 220 pounds, not, not so much. Not so cute. And so when it's he's- it's a different, you know, different, uh, different scenario. So that's why we teach that. Yeah. And if he's not compliant to get out of the vehicle because he's decided through interactions that this is perfectly, well, I've done it like before. Now we got ourselves a little bit of a problem. Now, like Matt points out, you guys have been trained, so you would pretty quickly figure out that this is a person with an intellectual disability or developmental disability. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, if we could just avoid all of that altogether by letting them explore first response vehicles from the back seats only, now we're hardwiring an expectation that we can all live with. So regardless of where that vehicle is, whether it's actually doing real time work or whether or not it's a community event. The back seat is just always the safest. You know, when we, you know, kids have to ride in the back seats for what, until 12, 13 years old anymore, I think is what they recommend. Um, so if we just make that a consistent expectation is that we're interacting with those vehicles. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's rules about, I, I, I've lost track. Don't ask me. <laughs> it's been a few years since you've been on patrol, right, Matt? So yeah, we'll give you a pass on that. But again, we're just trying to create some standardized expectations that, if you set the expectation that your child can only explore first response vehicles from the back seats, it's a much safer environment, regardless of where they're going to interact with that vehicle moving forward. So that's part of what we're encouraging the kids is exploring back seats, not front seats. And so there's my little soapbox moment. And really, I think that there's some cool stuff to be had in the back seats of first response vehicles. I mean, you get hard seats and hard plastic seats, hard plastic clear seats, clear shields, shields. It's just and doors without handles, doors without handles. It's very interesting. Um, but, and, and, you know, they ask questions, um, some depending on their communication skills have more questions than others. But, um, the whole key is, is that we're trying to make it as positive possible, as positive as we can and hardwiring some positive associations with first responders during those visits. Now, uh, one thing that has come about, this happened, it was actually, we were figuring this out right before COVID shut down, and is that a lot of school districts um, don't do a lot of field trips for their special education students. And so because of the work that we've been doing in the community and just enough people know about our program of special needs station visits, We've had several schools over the years uh, reach out to us about coordinating a specific field trip for a special needs class to do a station visit. And so we had actually started doing them more consistently, more regularly through the school year before the COVID shut down and we were prevented from doing that. But um, it, it's it's interesting because, um, John, you're fire department is the one that hosts us. And so the buses bring the kids there and we usually have anywhere from eight to 12 students with uh, developmental and intellectual disabilities. Um, and these are more self-contained classrooms where they're designed instruction classrooms. And then of course the paraeducators, the teachers, and then a couple of parents that come to help. 
And um, Matt, you've done those visits with us and um, they're very fun. And they are, the teachers are always so grateful because again, they just don't get to do very many field trips because it's just, there's a lot more logistical challenges. And then you have to find opportunities that are developmentally appropriate for your classroom. Um, And one of the things that was interesting is um, I don't have to twist very many arms to get you first responders to participate in these field trips or the station visits. You guys are always willing to answer the call. And I appreciate that. Um, but John, you've had some of your firefighters actually give feedback, uh, after the station visit and I'm leading you into this. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but, keep going. um, <laughs> keep going, keep going. <laughs> the feedback is after the station visit is, is that, you know, it's, un, it's unfortunate that more, we, we don't do more of those field trips because they're so well behaved. They're so excited about being there. You can really see that what you're doing, you're, you're building some necessary skills because we do yeah. the same curriculum that we do for our special needs station visits. Um, and then oftentimes they're better behaved. That's true. That's one of the things And having been to those, it's absolutely the truth. They're very captivated. They're very attentive. Uh, oftentimes, you know, typical kiddos come in in a classroom and it's a zoo. I mean, the Johnny's tugging on the knobs and the, on the side of the engine. Water's and, going yeah, everywhere. They're all over the place. It's like herding cats. So <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, you know, our, the special needs kiddos, they, they seem really, uh, engaged and they do, they really, I think they enjoy it. And actually the, the guys really enjoyed the visit. They didn't know what to expect. Just like any, most of, most of them haven't been around, you know, that population that much. And, they, they enjoyed it. They really did. They thought it was uh, very worthwhile. And they asked when they, when the next one was. And so, that's exactly it. And oftentimes we're asked the question, well, like, so, Hey, are we going to do another one of these? And, yeah. Oh, you should plan that on my shift because they really enjoy it. And again, you're, there is a very specific curriculum that we're working with the kids and you can start seeing them build the skills. We have kiddos that would be crying because, you know, they're, you know, anxious about the uniform, specifically the bunker year coming out. And then the next thing we know, they're doing high fives and they're interacting. And so you can see the progress throughout the station visit. And so I think that's uh, really telling that they're definitely worthwhile. And again, uh, when you're getting the emotional buy-in from you first responders, because I don't want to say that you've been around the block and maybe you're just a little weathered and, you know, the feels don't come out. I think the feels come out a lot more when you're working and you're seeing some of these skills and the progress that you're making. And you do get a, very, a lot of buy-in from our first responders here in Spokane. Well, Matt touched on it as well, too. You know, when the officers are out in the field, they have to have their situational awareness has to be peaked, right? I mean, so in this environment, they can let their guard down a bit and then interact more personally with these folks. And that's a that's a big part of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so rewarding to uh, be able to see the appreciation and the engagement from uh, this group of, of kids and how much they enjoy the interaction and, you know, a good, I don't know, nine tenths of them want to be police officers when they're done. And maybe one out of 10 <laughs> wants to be a fireman. Oh, the debate, the debate. <laughs> I will say too, uh, Matt, in the, when we bring the field trip kiddos in yeah. and we actually have more time with them because, you know, we also, the kids, We'll eat their lunch before we put them back on the bus to send them back. You actually have even brought out the drone during the station visit and have shown them the drone and how you use it for, you know, police work. So, I mean, I was impressed with the fact that he flew it inside the bay and didn't crash it. Oh, sure. Well, I liked (laughs) it because it's a good distraction so I can eat their lunches while they're not (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that might be a little bit true, true too, because yeah, I mean, everybody has, of course, this is prior to COVID, but yeah, I mean, the fire stations are not that big. So yeah, you have some levity that you can sneak and steal some lunches, but um, we also bring cookies too. So everybody gets cookies that we, you know, make sure our first responders have those too, but well, I just want you guys to know that I appreciate what you do. Um, obviously, we wouldn't have special needs station visits if we didn't have the um, support from both of your departments. So I thank you. I also want to throw a shout out to AMR, which is our ambulance um, company here in Spokane. Um, they are great community partners as well, and they always provide um, a unit to come and participate. Uh, one thing I want to say too is obviously John and I are married, so it's pretty easy for me to coordinate with the fire department because I have an inside track um, in terms of being able to schedule and and your you know Chief Schaefer has been a huge support. Um, you know, even if, you know, I didn't have you to, you know, do a lot of that coordinating, I know we would have the support of Chief Schaefer because he's very um, invested in the program. But I also want to throw a shout out to Spokane Police Department because we just got an email um, from your community outreach officer um, department head asking us what we had going on um, in the near future because they want to still be a part of it even during COVID. And so um, that's what I'm talking about. That's like community partnership where, you know, we are getting an email from your department saying, tell us the different events that you have and how we can support you in that. And so I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, giving you kudos for that too, because it's not, um, it's not me then having to pursue it. You guys are as much part of that as, um, as, as we are. And then same with, um, AMR, we did a trunk or treat and, and again, during COVID there's tighter protocols in terms of when we can get first responders to participate because we're trying to keep you guys as healthy as possible because we need you. Um, but it was really nice that AMR sent a ambulance unit to participate in our trunk or treat. And it was super cute because in the back of the ambulance, they had set up kind of a little crime scene with, you know, like all of the stuff in the back of the ambulance. So the kids thought that was like the funniest thing ever. So um, it was a drive through so nobody could get out, but it was great props. So we want to just make sure we throw out some, some kudos to AMR for always being willing to answer our call and participate in our community outreach outreach events. So did I forget anything? Like I said, I wanted to make sure we covered special needs station visits and um, talk about kind of the curriculum. I think we pretty much covered it all. I think so. I think so. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.